Good afternoon. Wednesday edition. I am Jeff Smelser, next in Pennsylvania. And with me today, as almost always, is Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Good afternoon, Joe. We are missing Chase. We are missing uh, Chase, uh, but it's good to uh, be on with you. Um, uh, I do think it's interesting that right after introducing me, you just talk about who's not here and the fact that you miss them. But, but that's okay. My feelings aren't hurt. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> All right. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts today. Um, just a brief introduction. You know, when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're talking about one of the first things that comes to mind, of course, is tongue speaking. But there was more than tongue speaking involved in spiritual gifts. What were some of the other spiritual gifts? Um, the healing uh, of interpretation. First uh, Corinthians thirteen. First uh, Corinthians twelve has uh, um, uh, miracle workers of miracles, gifts of healing, speaking in tongues, interpreting. And I don't suppose that list in First Corinthians twelve is necessarily an exhaustive list. Do you think, or what do you think? No, I, I don't think so. I, I suspect there were things that were affecting the group there. But we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the purpose of these spiritual gifts. And we're going to talk about how they were distributed. How did somebody get the ability to speak in tongues or, or do any of these things? And then we'll talk about their duration. In other words, uh, were spiritual gifts such as we're talking about to be characteristic of the kingdom of God throughout time? Or was it for a particular time period? And let's start with the purpose of the spiritual gifts. And maybe as we think about the different spiritual gifts, we can even see that there might be a different purpose to some of them. For example, speaking in tongues versus miraculously healing somebody versus getting a revelation from God. Uh, those, are, those seem to be kind of disparate things, and, and you might think that they would have different purposes. So where would you go if you wanted to talk about what the Bible says about the purposes of the spiritual gifts, either what it just says or, or how, how we see the purpose illustrated. That's a really interesting question. I don't know that I'd had it posed to me quite that way before. Um, uh, I might just begin looking at some examples of uh, the way spiritual gifts, when they were received, what that manifestation accomplished. I think that would explain a, a great deal about what their purpose was. For example, the gift of speaking in tongues when the apostles received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They were able to preach to people in all different countries. Remember from uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, I forget exactly which verses those are at there, uh, about verse 11 or so. Um, it mentions the, the list of all the different places, 9, nine through 11. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so people from different languages were able to hear what he says at the end of verse 11, the wonderful works of God in their own language. Um, uh, so that the, the purpose of speaking in other languages so that people that spoke those other languages would know the, the word of God. They would, they would understand the gospel message. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I would add in that passage, there's another element there. Um, Peter is going to make the case to this audience that uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and Peter is going to say, we, the apostles who are standing up there speaking in all these languages, are, are witnesses of this fact. Well, I'm not sure if somebody just, some total stranger I'd never met, came up to me and said, um, uh, somebody has been raised from the dead. I'm not, I, I would probably be skeptical of that. But Peter points to uh, what has happened that they've witnessed 
the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues. Verse 33, being therefore by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you see and hear. Mm-hmm. So, so his ability to point to their ability to speak in all these different languages served to validate uh, him and the other apostles as, as credible witnesses. Which is what Jesus said would those that what Jesus said those uh, miraculous gifts would accomplish, Mark 16 and verse 20. Uh, I guess this is actually a, a statement after Jesus promises those signs. In verse 17, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, speak in new tongues, take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, not hurt them, lay hands on the sick, they will recover. And then in verse 20, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And so, yeah, uh, what the apostles said after they, or as they were speaking in tongues and afterward, they've, they've confirmed that God is indeed with them. There's a, another example of this in Acts 8, where people uh, had the, the preaching of uh, a man uh, validated by the, the miracles that he did. In John chapter or Acts chapter 8, Philip has come to Samaria, and he is uh, proclaiming Christ to these people. He's proclaiming the Messiah. There's no indication that he, he knows them personally. He seems to be a stranger having come to Samaria. But the multitudes gave heed to him, it says in verse 6. They listened to him. They paid attention to him uh, with one accord when they heard and saw the signs which he did. And then it goes ahead and mentions he, he um, cast out unclean spirits. He healed people who were lame and so on. And, and Jesus himself, the famous story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these signs that you do except God be with him. So, so, all right, those examples illustrate the point. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2. Who do you think wrote Hebrews? Uh, somebody that the apostles taught. Okay. And, and that's the impression that you get in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 2, where the writer says, he refers to the salvation uh, he says, which having at the first been spoken through the Lord was confirmed unto us by them that heard. Right. So the writer doesn't seem to be somebody who's claiming to have been a first generation hearer of Jesus, but he heard those who got it from Jesus. But he says their preaching was confirmed, verse 4, God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders and by manifold powers and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. according to his own will. Um you look at that case of Philip in Samaria. He goes up there. Why, why, why was he in Samaria? He left Jerusalem on, upon the persecution that arose, uh, right? Right. He goes to Samaria, and he's going to preach the gospel. In fact, all those who were scattered upon that persecution went about preaching the word. And as, as they go about, when you go somewhere, you've made trips to... Um, uh, Mozambique, right, and various other places. You've spent a lot of time in uh, Brazil, right. And when you go to those places and you preach the gospel, how do you know what to preach? Um, how do I know what to preach? 
that is sometimes difficult to, to know. Um, uh, I usually try to find out um, uh, what they need um, just through talking to them. And so once you talk to them, you just look in the reset, in the depths of your heart and say, I think this is what they need. Or you just cogitate and you think, in my infinite wisdom, I think this is what they need. Yeah, I, 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 I just wing it. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I don't. Uh, for any, any, any groups that are supporting me, no, that's not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get the message? that you preach? Uh, I, I study God's word. If there's a topic that I think that they are needing to hear, then I have to, to study it, or hopefully I have already studied that, and I'm able to bring forth from notes and, and previous studies of, of God's word uh, an outline or something to that effect. So, so from the Bible? Yes. And that would include the Old Testament and the New Testament? Yes, uh, a lot of the Old Testament, yes. A lot of the Old Testament. If you only had the Old Testament, how much gospel could you teach? Well, there's a lot in the Old Testament that points to the gospel, but we really don't have the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ until the New Testament, right? That's exactly right, yes. So here's Philip. He goes to Samaria. Did he have the, did he have, was he equipped with that Bible? Uh, no, no. Yeah, the Old Testament scriptures, but he doesn't have the New Testament scriptures. And, and he probably wasn't carrying around a copy of the Old Testament scrolls either. So how did he know what to preach? Um, well, if we look back to the sixth chapter, um, uh, do we see any hint there about uh, what happened to people like Philip? Um, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, so, so when you think about those gifts, we see among those gifts things like healing people who are crippled. But we also see among those gifts that you mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians 12, we see things like um prophecy, knowledge, wisdom. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is talking about the use of the gifts, and he talks about um, verse uh, 6, unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or prophesying or teaching. So some of the gifts were very conspicuous miracles. Here's a guy who's lame from birth, and somebody can heal him instantly. Some of them, it's just a matter of the guy has a gift whereby he can get a revelation from God and he can know what to preach. And so we really see two purposes there. One is to receive the word of God and know what to preach and reveal it. And the other is to confirm the word of God. So if you, if you had, you know, a spiritual gift, you, you would get a revelation from God and you know what to preach. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the message that needs to be delivered. But then the people go, well, how do we know we got, you got that from God? And so you do a miracle, which is also a gift of the Holy Spirit. So two purposes, to reveal and confirm God's word. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And uh, help me with the passage um, where even the disciples of our Lord, he instructed them not to prepare beforehand. Uh, Matthew, 10. Matthew, Matthew 10, 19, is that right? Yeah, right about when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour yeah. what you should speak. Um, and, and we see that being fulfilled in the book of Acts, where right. they're standing before uh, the Sanhedrin and governors and kings and uh, able to proclaim God's message of uh, faith and self-control and the judgment to come. 
So good, that's good. I'm glad you brought up the passage in Matthew chapter 10. And, and so we, we, we get this idea, these, these powers from the Holy Spirit, these gifts of the Holy Spirit enable them to reveal God's word and to confirm it. Now, let's talk a little bit about the distribution of these gifts because it wasn't just the apostles that had these gifts. Um, Philip in Acts chapter eight was not an apostle. It's kind of interesting that after he preaches the gospel, and um, people are baptized in Samaria, Philip cannot give them the very gifts that he has. Uh, but they're going to need these gifts because they're in turn going to teach others, and they're going to need to know what to teach, and they're going to need to be able to confirm that what they're teaching is from God. And so let's talk a little bit about how people generally uh, receive these gifts, how these gifts were distributed. And so from the beginning, those apostles, uh, the apostles received it on the day of Pentecost. And then you're saying how they received it af after that? Uh, others other than the apostles. Yeah, we do see a couple of occasions when people speak in tongues and it seems spontaneous. Uh, you certainly see it in, in, on the day of Pentecost and, and in, in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius and his household were converted. Right. But, but in general, it seems that Christians... It seems that Christians in the first century routinely had these gifts. It doesn't seem like it was an unusual thing. How'd they get it? I would start with Acts chapter 8. Um, so we get to verse 14, and this is this chapter where Philip has gone to Samaria, and he's, he's preached the word, and he's done the miracles, so the people are listening, and they take the message seriously. In verse 13, or verse 12, they were baptized, both men and women, and there's also this Simon, Simon the sorcerer, and he, he, even though he had had a past life of giving out that he had some special powers, he becomes convinced that Philip's the real deal, and he believes and is baptized. And then let's read, Joe, um, I'm going to start in verse 14 and read down through verse uh, 19. Acts 8, verse 14. Now, when the apostles that were in Jerusalem <clears throat> heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Now, Peter and John are apostles. Philip is not. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Well, in some sense, they've already received the Holy Spirit if they believed and been baptized, right? Oh, definitely. He says, uh, now, when, the, when Simon's, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped uh, a verse, verse 17. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And uh, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that, on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. Um, of course, Peter rebukes Simon, says, You don't have any part in this, and you're trying to, to buy the gift of God with money, and that's not right. But Simon, I think, was, was astute in observing that it was through the laying on of the apostles' hands the gift was given. There are a handful of passages that connect apostles laying hands on people with the distribution of such gifts as prophesying, speaking in tongues, and that kind of thing. One of them that comes to mind uh, besides this one is Acts 19, when Paul comes to Ephesus. You remember this story? Yeah, and maybe even just mentioning quickly there from Acts 8, it's not that Simon thought that. Uh, that's what Luke is writing. 
That's uh, true. Good point. Luke is telling us he saw that this right. was the case, and it was the case. Good point. Uh, in Acts 19, Paul comes to Ephesus, and there are certain ones described here as disciples. And the first thing he asks them is, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they respond in ignorance and as if they're not even aware of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And, and so that makes him question, well, what were we baptized into? And of course, in the prior chapter, we had been told about how Paulus had been in this city of Ephesus previously and only knew the baptism of John before he was enlightened and sent on his way to Corinth. So apparently through his work, there are people here in Ephesus who have been baptized in the name of John, John the Baptist, which is interesting because John the Baptist has been dead for 20, nearly 20 years, and he was preaching in, down in, in, in Judea, down near Jerusalem. Now we've got these people up in Ephesus in Turkey uh, being baptized in the name of John so many years later. So Paul explains to them that they need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And so they are. And then what's the next thing that Paul does? Uh, in uh, verse, verse 6. 6. Uh, when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Yeah. And so there, there you have the spiritual gifts, specifically speaking in tongues and prophesying. And it was a result of Paul laying his hands on them. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple of other passages. Um, one is Romans, the 11th chapter. I mean, Romans, the first chapter in verse 11. And here Paul is wanting to go to Rome. And these are uh, people who are Christians, established Christians. But Paul wants to come and see them. And what's one of the things he wants to do, in, according to verse 11? Uh, in part is some spiritual gift so that they may be established. Yeah. Um, so Paul's an apostle. He went to Ephesus, and the first thing he asked is, have you received the Holy Spirit? And when he found out they needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus, he did that. And then he laid hands on them and gave them these gifts. Here in his letter to the Romans, he wants to come and impart to them some spiritual gift. And then let's turn over to Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. Like to maybe come, go ahead. Want to come back? Want to come back to that Romans one? Uh, maybe if we have time later. No, on. Let, let's do it now while we're there. Well, I'm just curious. Uh, I'm not going to take a strong stand, but I almost wonder if this doesn't help us understand uh, a, a fuller picture of the idea of spiritual gift. Um, in verse 12, he says that is, and uh, so that's an explanation. Uh, impart some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I take it that the spiritual gift there doesn't have anything to do with the miraculous spiritual gifts, but rather the spiritual gift of edification. Um, I know that seems like kind of an odd way of, of wording that or something, but in Romans 12, they already have spiritual gifts. Um, yeah. he, he talks about that amongst them. Yeah. So maybe he's wanting to, if some of them had it, uh, others, he, he could still give it to others. So I wouldn't deny that. Yeah. Um, but it almost makes me wonder if we ought to think of spiritual gift, not just in receiving the Holy Spirit or uh, as a gift or re the examples that we see of being able to speak in tongues, but maybe even non-miraculous things like edification even 
is a gift that is spiritual. Um, yeah, I, I see a point. One of the things that leads me to think that he is talking about giving them additional spiritual gifts in a miraculous sense, either either the ability to receive revelation, maybe that some of them didn't yet have, or to do miracles to confirm it. You're right, they had spiritual gifts, but it's it's in some of Paul's letters, Paul will mention spiritual gifts early on when he writes to them. That we, we know that in the letter to the church at Corinth, he talks about the gift mm -hmm. of knowledge and the gift of wisdom and so on in 1 Corinthians 12. It's interesting that uh, in the church at Corinth, it was a problem. They were misusing those gifts. Right. But when he first addresses them at the very beginning, he talks about their being blessed with with these spiritual gifts. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 and 6. He says, yes. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, say so of the idea of confirmation, so that you come behind in no gift and, and so on. And then, of course, he's going to go on and tell them now you're misusing these gifts. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse uh, 17, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's easy to read those words, uh, wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, and say, well, we need to have wisdom, and we can pray and ask for wisdom, and we need to have knowledge of God. But again, those are words that are specifically used of some of the spiritual gifts. Um, some, I could be wrong, but my inclination there in, in Romans 1 is to think that's probably in the same vein. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not adamant one way or the other. I think it's interesting just to think through. Yeah. And then the, the last passage that I'll mention in this connection is 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6, where Paul writes to Timothy and says, for which cause I put thee in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Of course, where did Paul first meet Timothy, as far as we know? Right. Uh, Acts uh, 14? 16, yeah. Uh, when he came to Lystra. Yeah, and, okay. So he had already been through Lystra before in his yeah. first journey, but it doesn't mention him. So he could, you're right. right. He likely did meet him in Acts chapter 14, actually, now that now that you say that. Doesn't mention him until Acts 16, right. but but he is a disciple already when Paul gets there in Acts 16. So very, very likely could have met him in Acts 14. Um so so this but this does seem to establish a pattern. Uh apostles had the ability to lay hands on people and give them the gifts, and, and you you get the impression, if that passage in Romans 1 uh, falls into this category, and if not, certainly the passage in Acts 19, that this is something an apostle did when he encountered people who had already been baptized, or when he baptized people into Christ, right. then he would equip them by laying hands on them so that they could get revelation from God, and so that they could confirm it to others. Very good, yeah. So, okay, so we've talked about the purpose, and we've talked about the means of distribution of the gifts, basically through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Um, so that brings us to the question of duration. And even with what we've already said, 
aside from those two occasions in Acts 10 and uh, Acts 2, if generally speaking, people were dependent upon an apostle laying hands upon them to get the gifts, then that might lead, that might point to the idea that we shouldn't be expecting to have these same gifts today because we don't have apostles to lay hands on us today. And, yeah. and then it's it's easy to say, well, wait a minute, that that doesn't make sense. We need those gifts, but then do we? What was the purpose of the gifts? They were confirming the words that were being spoken without having them written beforehand. Yeah, they 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 didn't have them written, so they needed to, to get a revelation to know what to preach, and then they couldn't point to the scripture, so they needed to be able to confirm that what they were saying wasn't of their own imagination, but it was from God. When you go to, to Brazil or Mozambique or wherever, uh, or, or to Elmira, New York, um, you know what to preach because it's, you've got it. It's written. It's been preserved for all mankind. It's been preserved in posterity, in writing. And if somebody wants to know, did you just make this up or did you get this from God? Well, you can point to the scriptures and show them where you get it. And in fact, you can even use the scriptures to self-validate that they are from God. Which is interesting because even the apostles who had the gifts sometimes would rely on Old Testament scriptures uh, as, as another way of confirming God's will. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you have where uh, in... Uh, Berea, you know, they they searched the scriptures daily to confirm the things that were being taught by the Apostle Paul. Yeah, um, that's pretty impressive to think about the importance of that. Um, so e even those who had the spiritual gifts often relied on the written word. But after those apostles have passed away, and that generation of like the Timothys uh, would pass away, then what would happen to uh, the, the spiritual gifts. Yeah, that's so that's the question we want to tackle. But there, And there's another case of what you were just saying in Acts 15 when they're discussing the problem of circumcision, whether or not Gentiles have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. They appeal both to the miracles that have been being done by the hands of Paul and Barnabas amongst the Gentiles, and also James appeals to the scriptures. Um, going back to the Old yes. Testament prophet Amos. Yeah, which is, is really great the way that he says that in uh, Acts 15, 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Yeah. You know, we, we don't have scripture disagreeing with, with, with spiritual gifts. Right. Sometimes we find that with what people claim today, they will, they will proclaim that they're speaking in tongues or that they have a new prophecy, but it contradicts the written word. That doesn't happen um, uh, in, uh, in, in the book of Acts. That doesn't happen in the examples of the apostles and others. So we have a passage in the New Testament that actually speaks to the duration of these gifts and the fact that they would not persist into perpetuity. Uh, and that would be 1 Corinthians 13. At least I believe that's what it does. Um, and you may disagree, but let's take a look at it. But let's start in 1 Corinthians 12 and just look at this whole context, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So this is where you first took our attention uh, earlier in the webcast today when you were talking about a list of spiritual gifts that we see. Right. Paul starts out in chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, and he's going to talk about them for three chapters, chapters 13, 14, and 15. 
in chapter 12, um, he seems to be striving to make the point that the spiritual gifts uh, should not be against unity. They should be for unity because they're all from the same spirit. Unity was a problem in the church of Corinth, right? Yeah, that was the main problem, probably. Going back to, to the first chapter, Paul talks about how one would say, I'm after this man, and somebody else would say, I'm after that man, and so on, and trusting in the wisdom of men. And 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 uh, Paul had talked about how he was preaching amongst them with the demonstration of the spirit and power, the spiritual gifts. But now it turns out that they have spiritual gifts, but they're using them divisively. Um, they're glorying in having certain gifts, or if they don't have certain gifts, they're wishing they did have it and thinking, I'm not as good as so-and-so because I don't have the same gift he has. So Paul goes through, first of all, and he mentions all these different gifts, but he keeps setting the so uh, uh, aside the expression diversities or different gifts, one spirit. Yeah, there's different gifts, but there's one spirit. And all the different gifts, they're from the same spirit. And so that's why he lists all these different gifts. And among the gifts that he mentions in verse 8, there is the word of wisdom. There's the word of knowledge. Um, in verse uh, 10, there is prophecy mentioned. There are kinds of tongues, languages, and then the ability to interpret tongues or languages uh, among all those gifts that are mentioned. But again, his point is to say, whatever gift you have, it's all from the same spirit. And then he talks about the body. And what, what does he do with the illustration of the body? Uh, that the body needs to be unified, that every part of the body is important, and uh, no part of the body is is so valuable that it doesn't need the rest of it. Yeah, and he uses the physical body to make the point about the spiritual body. He's talking about the body of Christ, but he uses the physical body and talks about how you're, well, let's just read it. Uh, verse 15, the foot, if the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. It doesn't mean it's not of the body. Can you imagine somebody's foot saying, well, I don't feel like I'm very important. I'm not the hand. And then I like verse uh I like verse uh, 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? I can see a lot of other problems besides not being able to hear if the whole body is an eye. Can you imagine if you're just one big eyeball? You don't have any eyelids to keep the dirt out. You don't have any feet to keep you off the dirt of the parking lot. You're just rolling around the parking lot getting stuff in your eye because that's all you are. And you're kind of missing some parts of the body that you need. It really is a ridiculous uh, scenario, and, and it shows the, the, the poor attitude of, of an individual who would think that they are so important, or of the person who is uh, facing uh, self-esteem issues and thinking, uh, oh, they don't need me because they have him instead. Um, you know, both the, both of those extremes are are equally dangerous in yeah. the, the body of Christ. And so he makes this application to the body of Christ, and he says in verse twenty seven, "You you are the body of Christ, and severally or individually members thereof. Each of you is a member, a part of the body of Christ. But you're going to have different roles and functions. But the body of Christ needs to be united. You need to re realize you're all important. And he starts ticking off some different roles." that are going to involve spiritual gifts. He says in verse 28, 
Uh, God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, different kinds of tongues. And then rhetorically asks, are all apostles? And the obvious answer is no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? And the last things he mentions are gifts of, do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? Why do you think those are the last two things that he mentions? Those are going to be huge uh, issues that he's going to deal with in chapter 14. Yeah, I think those are the ones he's building up to. That That's that's where the crux of the issue is. The right. Corinthians are glorying in those. He can start off with all, are all apostles, and the Corinthians would agree. No, not everybody's an apostle. Uh, well, what about are all prophets? Are, are, no, 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 are all teachers? And he can work his way through and get to the end. So does everybody speak with tongues? Oh, yeah, because that's, that's the one they seem to want, an interpretation of tongues. And then he goes on and he says, there's something more important than all of these spiritual gifts. And that gets us into chapter 13. And he's going to say, love is more important than any of the spiritual gifts, even tongues. Even if you had the ability to speak with the tongues of angels. Have you ever run into the idea that people turn to this passage to say that, uh, was it you that was telling me somebody tried to speak in tongues for you just recently? Somebody Somebody, who was that? I, I, I've had people do it before, but not recently, no. Somebody just in the last couple of weeks yeah. uh, was talking with, I think it was a woman, and she said that she could speak in tongues, and she demonstrated it. It was Chase. I think it was Chase. Uh-huh. And, um, and he, he said it was just kind of a repetition of a bunch of consonants, you know. Right. Um, didn't really even sound like a language. Sometimes when people do that today, and you say, that's not any language. That's, that's not Chinese. It's not Russian. It's not German. Uh, they'll say, oh, but I'm speaking in the tongues of angels. <laughs> so, you know, just think about that for a moment. I think Paul is speaking throughout these illustrations here in the first few verses of chapter 13 of extreme situations. So this person has jumped to, I can speak in the, the extreme, the languages of angels, but I can't speak in any other human language than what I was, I've was i studied uh, or, or learned all my own. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Paul is here saying, even if you could speak in tongues to this extent, right. doesn't mean that typically they were speaking in tongues of angels. They were right. typically speaking in languages that, such as in Acts 2, where people could say, we can all hear these in the language wherein we were born. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Um, so he says, though, if you don't have love, then it's all pointless. And he goes on, and he talks about how love is, is important. And it's interesting that you compare everything he has said to the Corinthians earlier. And now he says, love is this and love is not that. It's just the opposite of what he said about the Corinthians. You know, love is not puffed up. He has repeatedly accused the Corinthians of being puffed up. And so, you know, you said unity, a lack of unity was the problem at Corinth. And that's right, but that lack of unity seems to have come from a lack of love for one another. So, but then we get to verse eight, and he's going to give another reason why love is more important. And he says this, love never fails, whether it be prophecies, they'll be done away. Whether it be tongues, they shall cease. Whether it be knowledge, it shall be done away. He's not talking about 
you know, you might read this and go, well, he must be talking about 2021 because now everybody's stupid. That's not what he means when he says knowledge is going to be done away. It may be true, but that's not what, he's, not what he means. Sounds like a pretty good argument, actually. <laughs> no, he's, he's, these are things that he mentioned as among the gifts of the Spirit back in chapter 12, verse 8 and 10, knowledge, prophecy, tongues. And right. so he says these things. So this is not Encyclopedia Britannica knowledge or Google knowledge. This is divinely revealed knowledge. Yes. And he says it's going to be done away. And he says when. He says in verse 9, for we know in part, again, remember, knowing here has to do with that gift of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And just, just think for a moment about the use of the spiritual gifts and getting a revelation from God. Do you suppose that a disciple in the church at Corinth who had the gift of knowledge, that he got a, a mind dump of everything that God would have to say on any subject all at once? No, he, he did not develop miraculously the same mind that God has. He doesn't have unlimited knowledge. It, it would be knowledge of a particular uh, issue or, or topic, I think. And we have evidence that that's the case in chapter 14 because he talks about somebody who has the gift of prophecy and he is speaking to the congregation. And while he's speaking, something is made known to another prophet sitting by. The first one needs to get quiet and sit down and let the other one speak because he's got something that's apparently timely. And that's in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse uh, 29 and 30. Let the prophet speak by two or three and let the others discern. But if a revelation be made to another sitting by, let the first keep silence. Apparently the first doesn't have what the second one just got. So they got revelation in bits and pieces. Right, good point. So, okay. So then when we have in 1 Corinthians 13, love is more important. Uh, these knowledge, the knowledge, the prophesying, the tongue speaking, they're going to cease, they're going to be done away. For we know in part, we get bits and pieces. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. The partial revelation will come to an end when the perfect, and in the New Testament, when we see the word perfect, usually in our modern colloquial speech, really a better way to translate that would be complete. That's, that is the old meaning of the word perfect. We perfect something, we bring it to completion. Um, and so when that which is complete, so you've got the partial revelation, but that's going to end, the bits and pieces of revelation is going to end when the completed revelation comes. How does that fit in with what we've already said about the purpose? One of the purposes of the spiritual gifts was to reveal God's word. Once it's all revealed and written down so that it's all accessible, I may not have it all in my head, but I've got access to all of it right here in the scriptures. Right. And so the, the timing would be uh, perfect, if I could use that word here, uh, that by the time the apostles all died and those whom uh, in, in the, the various churches that Paul and Peter and others had gone to and, and helped plant, all of those who had received the Holy Spirit uh, and these gifts, um, uh, by the time they died, we would be very much at a point where the script, the New Testament has been written, 
and distribution is uh, is active as well. Yeah, and I don't suppose I don't know what you think about this, but I don't suppose that you know at twelve midnight on a certain day, all of a sudden, old spiritual gifts disappeared. It, people had spiritual gifts, but as they died out, and the apostles had already died out, the gifts would go away. I could imagine that God saw fit for the gifts to linger in some parts of the world longer than in others where the scriptures hadn't reached maybe certain parts of the world yet that kind of thing but especially because those who truly had the gifts of the holy spirit weren't doing anything contrary when the written word arrived right. uh, so there wouldn't be any problem with having some overlap in that as, as somebody is dying or whatever the case might be now so what you have then is a picture of the church in its infancy before before it's fully equipped with the scriptures using these gifts, needing these gifts. And that's what Paul does in the next couple of verses. He illustrates this saying in verse 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I felt as a child. I thought as a child. Now that I've become a man, I've put away childish things. And then he has another illustration. And this is about when you can see more clearly as opposed to when you're looking at someone or yourself, either in a mirror or through a glass that's uh, not a clear glass. Verse 12, now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know fully even as I was fully known. This last illustration, this second one here, sometimes people forget it's an illustration and they think that Paul is actually talking about seeing Jesus face to face. And they go there because they, they go back to verse 9 or verse 10. It talks about when that which is perfect has come and they think Jesus and they think heaven. And so they think he's talking about at the end of time, when Jesus comes in, I'll see him face to face. Verse uh, 12 is an illustration, uh, just like verse 11 was, just like the thing about the child and becoming a man and putting away childish things. So also is this seeing face to face as opposed to looking through a, a mirror darkly. He's not talking about seeing Jesus in person here. And, and, and we can nail this down, because if this is saying the spiritual gifts don't pass away until Jesus comes at the end of time, then we've got a problem. Because what he does is, he says, when these spiritual gifts cease, love will continue. And as a matter of fact, there are three spiritual gifts that he mentions, prophesying, tongues, and knowledge. And he talks about three things that are going to continue in verse 13, faith, hope, and love. So if he's talking about the, the gifts ceasing when Jesus comes, then he's going to talk about faith, hope, and love continuing when Jesus comes. But hope specifically is described as something that you have before you have the reality. In Romans, the eighth chapter, Paul asks the question, who hopes for that which he sees? He says in Romans 8, 24, and hope will we say, but hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for that which he sees? Once Jesus comes, we're not going to still be hoping. You're going to have the reality. Do you, do you hope to have lunch today, Jeff? I do not. I, I just, it, 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 right, right there. <laughs> yeah, so, so you, you don't hope for something that you've already experienced. Right, good. Yes. Yeah. All right, I'll take that. All right. Okay. Um, so it seemed like there was one more thing. We've got just a couple minutes here. It seemed like there was one more thing I wanted to say about, oh, yes. So it's interesting then in chapter 14, he goes on to talk about, you do have spiritual gifts. You do have the gift of tongues. You do have the gift of prophecy. 
but in the church, you should be careful how you use these gifts. And, and basically, he's going to say they should all be used for edification, which means you should use them in a way that people gain instruction. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 14. Today, in churches where they think they have spiritual gifts, it seems there are a couple of things that just are exactly what Paul was speaking out against. Number one, the gift that they all seem to want is speaking in tongues. Yeah. And, and what he says here is tongues is no more important than the others. In fact, he says in chapter 14, what does he say about tongues versus prophecy? Prophesying is far more, or he says not far more, prophesying is more important than, than tongue speaking. Why? Um, because if you speak in a tongue and there's no interpreter, then nobody knows what is uh, being stated. Yeah. So he explicitly tells them in the church, prophesy rather than speaking in tongues, unless there's an interpreter present. Right. Uh, and, and, and then the second thing that I would note here is when you hear about people speaking in tongues in churches today, it's kind of an uncontrolled, chaotic thing. Everybody's just going, several people at one time. Um, listen to this description in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, starting verse 26. What is it then, brethren, when you come together, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speaks in a tongue, let it be by two, or at the most, three. And that, in turn, take turns. And let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. Let him speak to himself and to God. And he ends up saying God is a God of peace, not of confusion. So people today who think they're speaking in tongues are doing the very thing that Paul was saying don't do in 1 Corinthians 14. Well, you think that's a show? Uh, yeah, well explained. I appreciate the uh, laying it out in that order, I think, is, is quite helpful for myself and hopefully others. Well, thank you for the help. Lord willing, we'll have Chase back with us next time. Very good. Bye-bye.